0: Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al-Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al-Fadi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Al-Fadi. And with me here in our studio is our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. And we have been taking a deep dive into that damaging interview that took place on June 8th, 2020, between Dr. Yasser Qadi and Muhammad Hijab. And we have uh, basically uh, dissected few parts of that interview last time. We raised a number of alarming questions that Uh, uh, emanated from that particular interview. And we are going to continue along the same line by raising even more questions concerning the uh, issue that was raised in that particular interview. As I mentioned, with me here in studio to unpack all of that for us is our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, welcome back.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So last
1: time you you asked at least six uh, amazing questions, of course, that uh, logically will uh, result from just reviewing that interview. Uh, if you like to comment on those and add more to it, We're going to add for them because I think we
0: need to unpack. A lot of people are, have seen that interview and I've heard many people come back and say, can you help me understand what the significance? It seems so damaging, but I didn't understand an awful lot of what he was saying. So let's continue uh, with those. Here's number seven. He talked about the fact that uh, that Muslims have a respect for the Quran and there are certain things that they don't go beyond. They ask up questions and then they stop and there's a red line. Uh, you can see there's a picture there. Uh, that's Joseph Qadi pointing to the red line. You don't cross that line. Muslims do not cross the line. And that's that the respect they have. And that's what he's grown up with until he went to Yale University. Remember, Yale University is in the West. He's from Houston. Yale University is in the Northeast. He had never heard these kind of questions. And now he was exposed to Western academia. And Muhammad Hijab asked me, well, is this where you had your crisis of faith? This is well known that he went through a crisis of faith in 1995. And he said, no, it wasn't really a crisis of faith. It was a crisis of knowledge. In other words, I didn't really understand. I wasn't. But then he quickly went into almost the mantra. Did you notice that mantra? I'm absolutely persuaded it is the word of God. I'm absolutely persuaded that it is preserved. He went through almost a litany of things that he's memorized, almost to persuade himself there on camera that he has no doubt that this is the word of God. However, he didn't know how to answer these questions when he got to Yale University. This calls him a crisis of knowledge. So let's move on. That's what's, what's happening there. Here, unlike in the West, he said, and he talked about the West, referring to himself living in Houston, going to Yale University versus the East, and he's ta- he's pointing to hijab. He says, "You in the East," he kept on saying, "You in the East," uh, are it's different for you. You're in a different world. Here in the West, I've got to deal with academia. I don't, I don't, I can't make statements like you can make on YouTube. You can say whatever you want. There are no red lines here in the West. You have red lines. I don't. I have to work with, without any red lines. I've got to come up with some type of, uh, of answer. So he was admitting that there in that interview. And then he went on and said, the problem is that you, and he, kept, he kind of pointed to Muhammad Hijab. Yeah, yeah. you, your narrative, this, your standard narrative has holes in it. Wow, when he said that.
1: Yeah. In other words, he's saying if you go to the east, there are holes, but you cannot explain them. In the west, at least you try to explain them. You try to explain. Yeah. But you notice in the entire interview, he did not explain them.
0: How many times did Muhammad Hijab? Okay. Since you can explain it, you're in the west. Here's the blank,
1: Musaf. Which one are you going to write? You, you have to say, Muhammad Hijab's question was excellent and brilliant.
0: And it took four years for him to get at that. He'd been yeah. stewing. He had been asked, starting from that day in 2016. I can't say that that was the first time he'd ever heard that argument, because it's obvious to me that when he asked all those people to come and he would explain it to them, he was not able to. That's why he had to come to Yassaf Qadi. Qadi is the world authority on this. He should know the answer. And he did say, this should be pretty simple. Which one is it? How many times did he say this should be a yes and no answer? Did you hear him say that? So let's continue on. Well, Western academics, Yasser says, have jumped leaps and bounds on this issue. They've gone way ahead in the last hundred years and there you can see a slide of the western academics on the left versus the poor muslims on the right and there's a red line see the red line between them right. and there's Yasir Kadi looking at both at both different categories he he doesn't even know he's standing in the west but he's having to try to answer and give sense to those in the east and the ones in the east don't are sitting there with big eyes because they're waiting for an answer they're not getting any answer they're not getting any answer for Yussuf Kadi why well, they look at the rest of us, those in the West, like emperor with no clothes. You know the story about the emperor little clothes, the little boy right. that's watching this emperor go, going no clothes, and he's the only one that explains why he doesn't have any clothes on. Well, that's exactly what they're saying to, to all the other Muslims. Guys, you don't have an answer for this. And that's why he was admitting that he's part of that group himself. I've never lectured on this subject, he said. Nor will I ever lecture on it, except in my class. Take my class, we'll do a deep dive. To me, that's a huge admission right there.
1: In other words, I want to tell you secretly, behind closed doors, what I think. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And in 25 years, now he's talking 25 years from 2020, that would make it 1995, that's when he got his doctorate. So from the time he got his doctorate on this very subject at Yale University, he's never done a lecture on it.
1: But wouldn't uh, wouldn't that interview would have been the perfect platform for him to explain it to everybody who's watching? Why should you take his class? For what purpose? It's almost like sounded like I'm all about money. You know, it came across as if that way. I'm, I'm sure that's not what he meant. He meant take my class so that I can explain it to you. But why can't you explain it to everybody? Because it should not be brought up in public. Yeah. Boy, did he come down hard on that. Take the camera off. Turn it
0: off. Don't even continue this. Afterwards, I will explain it to you. I would love to have been there as a fly in the wall to see how would he explain it, if they even did go into this afterwards. Because he does come up with an answer when push comes to shove. Nonetheless, at this point, he was saying, I have never talked about it. I never want to talk about it. Please don't ask me this question. Turn the camera off. This is the most difficult problem for scholars in the last thousand years. al Jazeera, listen, he spent 80 different articles writing about it, and he could come to any conclusion. If he can't come to a conclusion, why do you expect me to come to a conclusion? Please don't ask me, well, what should be written on this blank? Most he must, he pulled back, and he even said, you're, "You're pushing me. You're pushing me. Stop this. You saw that. Don't don't ask me for an answer right now. You're not going to get an answer. If I haven't done, given an answer in 25 years, why do you expect me to do so in an hour and a half interview?" Nonetheless, Muhammad Hijab Job was persistent. He knew that he needed an answer. He wanted an answer. Right. He insisted on giving him that blank Quran. So finally, he put his hand out once more. He put his hand out right there in the end, and he asks them, "Please." If I give you a, a, a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and I gave you a pen, which one are you going
1: to write? So notice the question. He's almost saying, are you really telling me all of these Qur'ān are the same preserved Qur'an or one of them would be? That was his question. He wanted to know. Yeah. And what did Yasir Qadhi say? Look at the little
0: picture on the right. They're all the Qur'an. <laughs> <laughs> just dive into them. They're all in the Quran, a little bit of this. He said, it may not, it won't be all of Huffs. It may be some Kaloon, some kiss. Quran. Some Warsh. It was just a little bit of this. You could see like a witch with her brew. She's just mixing it up in her pot. And what comes out is the Quran we have today. What he didn't know, and see, this is what most Muslims don't know, and this is what I'm going to say to you, Muslims. What Qadhi still doesn't know is what we know what Muhammad Hijab still doesn't know is what we know. If you're going to take a little bit of each one of these, there are 93,000 differences in these different Qurans. Just between the hafs and the wash are 5,000 different Qurans, 5,000 different meanings. With all the 30 that he's swimming in, and he's saying a little bit of all of them, all of these 30, we go up to 93,000. Every time there's one letter, anytime there's one word, anytime there's one phrase, you change the meaning. Anytime you change the meaning, you change the theology, or you change the doctrine, or you change the practice. Folks, you can't get away from it. No wonder he didn't want to talk about this. No wonder he said, turn the camera off. No wonder he said this is the most difficult problem for the last thousand years. Now, let me tell you what happened after this. This was uh, uh, on J- June 8th. In the next two weeks, I would go up and I went to both their sites because they had a, the whole interview, all hour and a half interview on both Yasir Qadhi's, uh, YouTube site, which is almost around a million, is half a million as well, and Muhammad Hijabs. And I started looking at the comments. I love to look at the comments. And there were hundreds of comments on both sites and they were angry. The Muslims were really angry. You have, You're the one that has told us Every time that we talk about the Quran, not one letter, not one word has been changed. It is you that has quoted this. It is you that we have trusted. I am now leaving Islam and my blood will be on your shoulders. Hundreds of Muslims were writing this in the comments. They were angry for for a good reason, because they had been duped all their lives. They had been duped. And here is someone with a stature of Yasar Qadhi, one of the leading authorities on the Quran who got his doctorate at Yale University on this very subject, admitting that there were many, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You just add them together. And what has come out, we can be sure, is the preserved Quran that is in heaven. And that's all he needed to say. Once he had done that, I started clapping. Folks, Within two weeks, there were so many Muslims that had left Islam that had put their comments there on both channels that both Muhammad Hijab and Yasar Qadi had to shut down all comments. They stopped all comments within two weeks. right? That wasn't bad enough. Within two months, by August, by August, they deleted this interview from
1: both their channels. What does that tell you? It tells me that first, they recognize the damage they've done number two they cannot answer that damage because during these three months they could have came back and did another show or each one of them tried to explain further took the time to digest what took place try to uh, help the people looking at the comments just like you did but obviously Mohammed hijab doesn't have the answer he even didn't get the answer that he was looking for and uh, yasser qadi didn't want to take another deep dive he recognized the damage that he already caused, the attacks probably that came against him, and so on and so forth. Yeah,
0: there was so much anger until this day. I'm not even going to tell you what Yasad Khadi did on November of 2020. He put out a 90-minute video attacking me, attacking David Wood, and attacking Dr. Dan Brubaker. Why in the world did he attack Dr. Dan Brubaker, who had not said one word about this. David and I were putting this all over the internet. That's so right, was Hot Dude. Right. We were all at the forefoot of this. We, I can understand why you wanted to attack us. But Dan Brubaker? I'm going to talk about that next.
1: And Dr. Brewbaker, in a, in, a, in his kind attitude, went to him and tried to dialogue with him as well. Yeah, and uh, he called us ultra crepidarians, and it's called the ultra
0: crepidarian video. It's a great video if you have a chance, go look at it. It's so much fun. You can see we had we just by continuing to talk about this interview got so much damage. But we
1: need to go on to the even more damaging material, and that's next. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message.
0: You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for C I R A International. That's C I R A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to cirainternational.com International.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason.
1: We've been really focusing our energy in the last few episodes on uh, the Quran itself and the many problems that are found in it. You know, uh, the, 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 at the top of all of that is that a famous interview between Dr. Yasser Qadi and Muhammad Hijab, and we spent at least, at least two episodes unpacking that. Today, we're going to introduce yet another uh, uh, character, another factor, another influencer in that field that uh, exposes a lot of the problems that are found in the Quran from an academic standpoint, Not, not from a personal vendetta, not from any other angle, just pure academic work, pure academic research supported by images from manuscripts, early Quranic manuscripts, and so on and so forth. Of course, we're talking about Dr. Dan Brubaker. And if you haven't heard about Dr. Dan Brubaker, then this is the time for you to get an exposure to who he is and at least a very simple book that he uh, published, part of his dissertation. And that small book created so much damage, you wouldn't even believe it. This is the book right here. And the book, as you can see, the title is called Corrections in Early Quran Manuscripts. The word correction alone should alarm anyone who believes in the perfect preservation of the Quran. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to Dr. J, uh, Dr. J. Welcome back. And uh, I thought you did a good job in asking the logical questions that emanated from that interview between Dr. Yasser Qadi and Muhammad Hijab. Now we wanna introduce yet another damaging factor here.
0: Yeah, in fact, I would say, for those of us who are academics, this is by far the most damaging. For those from a popular standpoint, what Hatun Tosh found uh, that five foot two lady, what she found is much more damaging on a popular level because it is visual. Uh, you can see it side by side. We showed the different, uh, about four different examples of the, either the fatah or the kasra have been interchanged, how it changes the word, changes the meaning. So from a popular level who anybody can read Arabic, they can see that that changes. What we're going to do now is much more of an academic confrontation. And this is why Daniel, in some ways, is, is even more dangerous. And this is one reason why I I think Yasakadi included Daniel Brubaker in his ultra crepidarian video. Made no sense because Daniel v- Brubaker. Can we mention has more never-
1: about this video? Because we closed last time by you making reference to that video. That the ultra crepidarian video
0: was a 90-minute video that that uh, uh, Yasakadi did on. Uh, actually, it was Thanksgiving Day uh, of 2020. He put it up there thinking that it would shut us down, and it was attacking Dan uh, David uh, Wood. Mostly attacking me because I'm the one that really has been put, has been attacking the Kiraat problem since we introduced it. So I can understand why he's attacking David and myself. But then he spent about ten minutes attacking Daniel Brubaker, who has not said one word about the Kiraat. because Daniel Brubaker about not the
1: interview. Daniel didn't respond to the interview. Didn't say anything about that.
0: Not word. And there's no reason to because he's not involved in the Kiraat. If you ask Daniel Brubaker to explain or define, he doesn't know. He won't even know what you're talking about. Well, he'll know what you're talking about, but that's not his area of expertise. He does, he does not concern with the dots and the vowels because those come in the 8th, 9th, and 10th century. His area is in the 7th and 8th century. He is the. He goes a step earlier to just the continental text.
1: Because also, if you look at early Quranic manuscripts, it's going to be hard for you to tell which Quran is found in there. There are no kiddots. Yeah. There's nothing in the manuscripts. The manuscripts don't have dots or vowels. They have
0: circles. They have red circles. Like and the things were Bible.
1: added later to them. Those are, this is before,
0: this is pre- yeah pre-kira'at. This is pre-aruf. So this is the consonantal text. These are the razm. Uh, this is the skeletal text that is made up of about 14 to 16 consonants before the dots were added so that another so that we'd get the 28 letters that we have today in Arabic and he's going to these manuscripts and this is the Topkapi, the Samarkand the Ma'il the Petropolitanus the husseini and the Sana manuscript those are the six major manuscripts he does another four beyond that including uh, uh the Tubingen manuscript uh, so he he is talking about other ones there's even another one from Topcopy in St Petersburg manuscript so he's looking at about 10 manuscripts and he did his doctoral thesis on this uh, in uh and this is why in 2014 he gave me his doctoral thesis at that time my just he was the first to do this he was the oh, first to go in the world he actually went to all of these different cities he went to every one of these manuscripts he physically touched almost all of them and opened page by page and took pictures of these continental script, script, looking for any changes between them, any changes with this text, with the continental text that we see in the Hof's the standard book that we use today. And he just took his camera with him and he got permission to go into these museums, into these libraries in St. Petersburg, uh, also in the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, uh, the, the British Library in London. Uh, he went down to the Husaini Library. Uh, Uh, the Huzeni manuscript, which is there in Cairo. And of course, the most famous and probably the most exciting one is the one in Sana'a in Yemen. And then, of course, in Samarkand in Uzbekistan. So he just actually physically went, which is what everybody should do, which is what Muslims should have done, but hadn't done. And that's why he decided to do this in 2010 to 2014. Came out with 800, and I had my, de- my debate with uh, Dr. Shabir Ali on these six manuscripts. I was one that introduced them publicly, but it was Dan's material. So let's look. Let's go to the slides, and let's see who this, what we're talking about. So there you can see the book on the right. There's Dan Brubaker. He found 800 by 2014. He's now up to 4,000 of these changes. 4,000 what? Well, let's take a look and see what we're talking about. Some of these are insertions. Others are erasers, of which are somehow overwritten. Others are covering.
1: Some overwritten. And others are taping. Let's just look Tiping at this. Taping is like using a, a whiteout, technically speaking. Here you go. Take a
0: look at this. Here's some insertions. You can see uh, words that have been added. Sabah, uh, you, you, you can see right there in the middle one, has been added. Above the line, you can see it doesn't yeah, and, and, and
1: not only that, people can see it's added, and it's different style of writing.
0: Yeah, so it's a post-production edition. Right. This is a definite edition right. that's added to the text. In every case, as we're going to find it, whenever they add a word like this, they are adding it so that it fits now this standard text, the 1924 Huff's text that we're using. Now, here's a, a, a erasers. Erasers are interesting because you can see these. this is a this is a censorship. They're erasing something that was there. They don't want you to see it. These are letters. In some cases, you'll see they remove entire words. We'll get to that, some examples of that. He also found where they've erased and they overwrote off top of it. Here you can see on the left, there you can see the erasing is not really done that well. And they used red color. It's very clear. That's the one in the middle. And the, and the one on the right, you can see the whole word is still there and they retape pleasure with just three letters an entire and word of seven stretch letters. They stretched the whole word. Has, has been stretched so it would accommodate the space that was left behind. And here you have. Uh, overriding without erasure. They don't even care about this. They just wrote over top of it. I mean, if you look at the bottom one, the long one there, that's two lines that have been yeah, added. Yeah, the one at the
1: tops case. basically are slanted in, in the elongated image. Elon, uh, basically slanted, but look at the bottom line. It's totally different style.
0: Totally different style. And then he talked about, and he talked about these selective coverings. These, I think, he didn't think that these are the most damaged, but I think these are by far the most damaging. What are we talking about? They're coverings. Can you see on the one on the left, there's a piece of tape, a piece of paper that's been covered over a certain word. On the bottom, you can see a piece of tape that's covered there. Look at the one in the middle. There are eight different pieces of tape there, eight different coverings in just one page. And so this is, to me, is absolutely (coughs) heinous. Uh, Then you get coverings where overwritten, where they have a covering, and then they wrote over top of it in a different, as you said earlier, and also with a different style. These are typical of that. And then uh, I'm just going to show one more, and these are the tapings. We'll end with this, because these are the seven different types of corrections. What he noticed, look at the one in the middle. There is a square there that's just covering. He just thought maybe there was a damaged piece of of parchment. When he looked at the back of the parchment, there was no damage whatsoever. It was covered. That's it. So this is censorship. This censorship needed to be acknowledged. Now, by the time he came up with these, now he's come up to over 4,000 of them that he has personally uh, discovered. Nobody in the world has done what he has done. He is unique in the world to do this and he's on our team. He's part of Veritas International University. He is one of our scholars who's one of our professors. He teaches the Quran. He'll be doing that in, in June of this year, and we give him that response because he is there. he is so far ahead of everybody else when it comes to the Quran itself. So what are we going to talk about next time? What we're going to do is we're going to actually look at some of these. We're going to look at 16 of of these variations and unpack them. And I want you to look at them because you can read the Arabic, see the difference of how these change the text, why is it that they were done, and obviously does is this significant? Because some Muslims will say it doesn't change a thing like yeah. they did with the kid. Uh, it doesn't change a thing until you are Arabic speakers. You see how much damage these do.
1: And here is I mean, I'm going to give my commentary on those classifications, whether it's an erasure, whether it's an insertion, whether it is basically uh, a taping or writing over or whatever the case might be. Here, Here's my take on that. This tells me a number of things. Number one, the process of transmitting the Quran was not really standardized. Somebody did not review it, and they discovered it later. Okay, that's number one. That's a damage, by the way, that goes or flies in the face of this perfect preservation. Number two, if you're telling me it was perfectly preserved in memory, there you go. Examples that memory was not on your side, and somebody had to come and correct it. Okay? Number three, it tells me that if you're trying to standardize the reading which reading they gravitated towards, just the most popular one. That means they disagreed with the other reading. But I thought Yasser Kadi says, hey, it's eclectic. You know, I want from here and I want from there, you know? Apparently the correctors or those who uh, did these edits did disagree with that uh, concept. So at least at this level, you can see that there is some damaging things that you can conclude just by looking at these manuscripts and realizing things were taped, things were written over, things were changed, Words were forgotten, and they were inserted, and the list can go on and on and on.
0: But remember, what is it we're even confronting? We're confronting what not only the Quran says, but what all Muslim scholars have said. Not one letter, not one word has changed, because Allah Himself has preserved it. Chapter 15, verse 9. That's what we're confronting here. Dan Brubaker is showing not only are there changes, notice every one of these manuscripts are from the 8th and 9th century. Not one of them is from the 7th century. These are much later manuscripts. This is even before the kit-uts were even invented. This is much earlier. These are the 8th, 9th, up in the 10th century. No wonder they're so damaged because when you change a letter... Not a diacritical mark, not a vowelization. When you take a consonantal text and you change one letter, it changes the meaning. We'll
1: see that next. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You've heard the man. Until next time, have a blessed day.